Good morning. Happy Wednesday, December 21st, the first official day of winter, the winter solstice. And as I've been saying all week, we are opening the door for winter to come in with all of its might this week. More on that later. Let's begin our morning in prayer as we do each and every day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father, amen. Hail and blessed be the hour and moment in which the Son of God was born of the most pure Virgin Mary at midnight in Bethlehem in the piercing cold. In that hour vouchsafe, we beseech thee, O God, to hear our prayers and grant our desires through the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and of his blessed Mother. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this morning we thought uh, as we wrap up this fourth week of Advent, we're about midway through the week, and things are about to get a little hectic as we come to these final days, counting down towards Christmas, and with a winter storm on top of that, that we could take a little mini retreat this morning, a little morning of recollection. We've been playing all week some of our favorite segments from the past year here on Roadmap to Heaven, and today we are going to be going back in time Uh, to look at the Martyrs of Christmas with Monsignor Eugene Morris. Later on in the show, Mike Roberts is going to call in, and we are going to talk about winter storm preparedness, what we need to know as we go into these next few days here. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. There's a lot of information we probably need to know. In the meantime, let's find out what the forecast is and go to our daily weather forecast and saint of the day. Today is the feast day of St. Peter Canatius, Doctor of the Church. Born in 1521 in what is now the Netherlands, his father was a wealthy magistrate, but his mother died when he was still a baby. At a relatively young age, he was sent to study at the University of Cologne, where he earned a master's degree at the age of 19. There he met Peter Faber, the first disciple of St. Ignatius of Loyola and one of the founders of the Society of Jesus. Under his spiritual guidance, Canatius became the first Dutch Jesuit priest in 1541. For a half century following the Protestant Reformation, Peter Canatius led the Catholic Reformation in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and Bohemia. He was a popular preacher who restored lapsed Catholics and converted Protestants. Canatius founded numerous colleges, seminaries, and taught at many of those himself. And he was also a great writer, authoring several books, including Summary of Christian Doctrine and two smaller works on catechism, explaining the faith in a way everyone could understand. And these helped launch the Catholic press. During his lifetime, his instructions on catechism were translated into 150 languages and reprinted more than 200 times. Canatius also had a love for the apostolate life, found time to visit those in prison and cared for the sick, especially victims of the plague. And he had great diplomatic skills, advising charity and moderation. Using all of his gifts in the service of the Lord, Peter Canatius was often called the second apostle of Germany following St. Bonavis. In 1591, at the age of 70, he had a stroke which left him partially paralyzed, but he continued to preach and write with the help of a secretary. He died on this day 
1597. St. Peter Canisius, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. It's a rather common thing in my life for people to text me or call me or send me a message or whatever and say, have you heard this song? I think you'd really enjoy it because they know how much I love music. And about a year ago, a little over a year ago, Father Michael, a friend of mine, said, have you heard this setting of this carol? And I said, oh, I love that carol. He said, you've never heard it like this. That question launched us on a journey that took us to this next segment from a year ago. It's from last Advent, and it's one we recorded with Monsignor Morris as we look back at some of our favorite segments from the past year on the Martyrs of Christmas. And this morning we offer it to you as a little spiritual reflection to help us prepare in these final days of Advent. Those of you who listen to the show regularly know that I like to look ahead so that I can be prepared and As we begin this final week of Advent, I would like to look ahead to next week, for we will not be on the air with the show. We'll be on the air bringing you the best of Christmas music during the Christmas season. And there are some feasts that we should pay attention to. So here to help us break into the liturgical feasts we will celebrate next week, we are happy to be with Monsignor Morris visiting at the Oratory of Saints Gregory and Augustine. Monsignor, good morning to you. Adam, good morning to you. Thank you, as always, for inviting me to be with you on the show. I very much appreciate it, especially talking about what we're going to be talking about today. Well, Monsignor, I was looking ahead, and a good friend, a good priest friend of mine, Father Rainier, said, Adam, I want you to listen to this carol. It's a setting. And I said, oh, I've heard, I've heard that, Coventry Carol. And he said, no, you haven't heard this. This is a new setting by a composer named Philip Stopford, Luli Lule. And Monsignor, as we sat in his office, listening to it. Two grown men, we both started crying. It, it, it was hauntingly beautiful. And I said, you know, I, I know of the, the text, but I haven't paid close attention to it over the years. And he said, well, this was composed for the Feast of the Holy Innocents. And this would be the lullaby that the mothers would be singing to their children who are about to be slaughtered. Now, not that this is an actual lullaby that was handed down from generation to generation. This is a composer giving us something to ponder or to meditate upon. And it was beautiful, and it was haunting, and it was very unsettling. And to me, it seemed like everything we would not want to be feeling during the joyous season of Christmas— not what I think of when I, I think trumpets and, and O Come All Ye Faithful and Enjoy to the World and Hark the Herald and all of these joyous Christmas songs that we will be singing at Midnight Mass and on Christmas morning and throughout the octave. And yet, in these days that follow Christmas, the Holy Innocents are just one of the Feasts of Martyrs we're going to celebrate. I mean, we have St. Stephen the Proto-Martyr, St. John the Apostle and Evangelist. We have St. Thomas Becket or Thomas of Canterbury. This is, you know, I've heard of red and green for Christmas, but this is an awful lot of red for martyrs. Why does this happen in the the life of the Church? Well, the Church is uh, a very wise mother and a great teacher for us. And immediately upon celebrating the mystery of the Incarnation, we are forced to enter into the fullness of the mystery of the Incarnation. 
it's very easy to allow ourselves to be lulled into, if you will, a false sense of what the full Paschal mystery is as we appear upon the Christ child. But we know the fullness of the story. Obviously, the shepherds who testify to the truth of Christ, um, our Blessed Mother, St. Joseph, Simeon and Anna, all of these wonderful figures who will be with us during our Christmas season, as our mother was, and then St. Elizabeth, John the Baptist in the Advent season, all of them testifying to the Word becoming flesh. And of course, the, you know, the iconic images of the angels singing, the shepherds watching, uh, the animals bowing low in adoration because they know the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is present there. And it really is a pastoral scene. And we can then be lulled into the sense that this is the fullness of Christianity. It is the beginning of the unfolding of the fullness of Christianity that will culminate, as far as the Lord is concerned, this child born of Mary, born by the shadowing of the Holy Spirit, is going to suffer and die. And so the Church puts immediately in our faces, says, let's just deal with this. And because of her great faith in who he is, the God-man, there is no fear of leaning into the mystery of the cross, and there is no confusion, there's no conflict with celebrating the fullness of the Christmas season by also celebrating, again, literally the very next day is the celebration of the first martyr. What is that all about? And why, I mean, can you give us just a couple of days to maybe enjoy, um, if you will, you know, deck the halls and all of the things that you were mentioning? And the church says, you, yes, as a matter of fact, you can have that. And you also must have this as well. And so it's a good reminder for us spiritually, this, what we're celebrating, of course, is the coming of Christ in history. And then we anticipate the coming of Christ in the end of time. Bernard of Clairvaux has a, a beautiful, I've been reflecting on this on my own, has a beautiful homily that he gave, a reflection on what he refers to as the three comings of Christ, reminding us also of the coming of Christ to us on a daily basis. And so it's there in a sense that we can argue that the Church says, okay, we know what happened in history, we know we are preparing for the future, but part of your preparation for the future is to allow Christ in your life now. And if you're going to do that, which you have to do, then you're going to get all of it, not just the pieces that you like, the ones that are comfortable, or the ones that are pastorally sensitive and pleasing. You're going to get the ones that make you cry, the ones that make you suffer. So we have the Holy Innocents. We have St. Stephen. We have Thomas Beckett. I'm going to go a little bit out of order of the liturgical days, but perhaps in more of a chronological order of the occurrence. Recently, we aired a segment with Monsignor Cronin on the show, and we were talking about the Advent theme of light and that Christ is the light of the world. Uh, we sing light of nations and so on and so forth. And Monsignor was very uh, clear to point out that what does Scripture say? That the light came into the world and the darkness has not overcome it, but that there are those who prefer the darkness to the light. So going back some 2,000 years, it wasn't when our Lord started upsetting the status quo with his teaching and, and what he was preaching during his public ministry, but at the time of his infancy, Herod is afraid. Herod, I am guessing, would have known the Old Testament prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. No? If you read Scripture, it seems... One of, the, one of the points of contention that goes beautifully to the prologue of John's Gospel is he came to his own, his own did not know him. And so there's that scrambling when the, the three wise men come to Herod's court to say, we're here to pay homage. 
And they're all kind of like, what are you talking about? You know, we didn't know this. And then they go back and they start reading scripture about Bethlehem, the least of the cities becomes the greatest, so on and so forth. And so there seems to be, uh, if not that they would have known it like we would know things as a young man, but as we get older, we put those things out of our mind. There certainly was not that joyous anticipation upon hearing that which they had prepared for and been longing for for millennia at that point, to hear that announced, their hearts should have been filled with joy. But the idea that the the prophets would have prophesied that there will be a Messiah, yes. as basic as that, do we think that Herod even had an idea that there would be, a, at least the religion taught, there would be a Messiah at some point? I, I would say yes, and I would say he probably has it in the same way that we think about the end times. We know that they're coming, we know of them as an idea, but the reality of them when confronted with it, when it comes, is going to be quite shocking to a great many people. If, so. if it was tomorrow, I'll be honest, I'm, I hope I'm ready. I'm not quite sure. Correct. Exactly. This is a good place to take a, a quick break, and we will continue our discussion with Monsignor Morris when we come back. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We're talking about these Feasts of Martyrs that come in the octave of Christmas with Monsignor Morris this morning. So... Herod receives the three wise men, the Magi, and now he's baffled, he's confused, he's perplexed, and he's worried that this means the end of his kingship, I'm imagining, and he reacts in an incredibly violent way. So when we talk about the holy innocents, uh, could you remind our listeners specifically, what are we talking about? So we know from sacred scripture that Herod, upon hearing this news, is not able to actually determine the specific moment when our Lord is born by virtue of the arrival of the wise men. And so he basically orders the killing of all males two years or younger uh, throughout his land to satisfy him and make sure there's no, if you will, one of what's word I'm searching for, uh, there's no force, if you will, against his throne and his rule and his kingship. And it also parallels what we know in in sacred scripture in the Old Testament when Pharaoh drowns all of the babies um, in the water and the cry that comes forth from that, all the male children are drowned. This response, if you will, to the reality of God is indeed violent. Um, It's it's overwhelming. Uh, I've seen a, a couple of depictions of this in kind of older movies, Uh, And they do a beautiful job of obviously never showing it, but the lament and the cry, which we just heard in the carol, that's that's what you see, and that is it's beyond the pale. No child, no mother ever wants to lose her children, and now here you have children being literally ripped from the arms of their mothers and being slaughtered right in front of them. And as you beautifully pointed out, one of the reasons why we celebrate this is at the very beginning, he is meant to be the downfall of many, and he's, he's, Herod is falling down. I mean, he is committing a, a sin that cries to heaven, this dis- mass destruction of human life in his court that obviously goes along with him. You know, it, it's not just Herod, it's everyone's complicit, because they should have said, stop, let's rejoice, let's get with the wise men, and because this is what we've been preparing for, waiting for, wanting. And instead, what's their response? You know, it's death and violence and anger, anger that wells up to the point where it's willing to destroy innocent life. We're calling to mind, we're celebrating that in the midst, because we're celebrating that these then become, even before Stephen, although chronologically Stephen's feast is celebrated first, the immediately upon coming into the world, he who is a sign of contradiction 
has martyrs, men, women, in this case men, but people willing to shed their blood in testimony to who he actually is. I want to skip over St. Stephen for a moment. No sure. disrespect to the first martyr, right. the proto-martyr, but uh, something you said just now reminded me of St. Thomas Beckett, and, and I love the wonderful—I've never seen the stage adaptation, but I've seen the film adaptation. So the play came first, but that line of the king, is there no one who will rid me of this meddlesome priest? And here you have what were two friends, the story tells us, the king and, and Thomas Beckett, who the king, through whatever channels he has available to him, has seen to it that Beckett becomes the archbishop of Canterbury. And something changes in Beckett, and he stands for the faith going forward. And now the king is upset because he doesn't want to hear the challenge of the faith. And so he has Thomas Beckett killed. And it makes me think of King Herod and the Holy Innocents in a different way, but yet there are some similarities. Well, there is that beautiful parallel because it's obviously the Holy Innocents. It is Thomas Beckett. uh, It's Thomas More and John Fisher. The whole history of the unfolding of the mystery of the Incarnation and man confronting the power and majesty of Christ is that we have been specifically at odds with the state. We're at war with secular culture, secular power. And so it's it's, it's apt in every age, but particularly in the age in which we find ourselves now, where the, the war between light and darkness is more prevalent and more prominent than maybe it was in the last several decades. There's always been conflict, there's always been tension, but we can see the result that happens when secular power is wielded against the power and the might of God, who always wins, by the way, always wins, but there is shedding of blood. And to be martyrs means we are to be believers in Christ, to accept the mystery of the child in our arms means we must be willing, like the holy innocents, like all of the martyrs, be willing to shed our blood. This can't just be, it's nice and warm and fuzzy, you know. Uh, it is that. It can be that. I mean, obviously, the Christmas season is indeed a season of joy and celebration. Um, but so is the mystery of the cross. We, I mean, what does St. Paul say? I preach Christ crucified. Not Christ incarnate, not Christ the babe in his mother's arm. I preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block and a folly. So this this sense we have, which unfortunately has seeped into the life of the Church, where we have to apologize for the cross, or we have to downplay the cross, quite the opposite. We don't apologize or downplay. We, we rejoice. We, we boast, if you will, that we can, not in our own, but in being able to link our afflictions to the mystery of the cross. The cross is not something to be ashamed of or to be embarrassed, certainly nothing that can be avoided, but instead must be embraced and even if, you know, sadly with the Holy Innocents, they, they had no choice. They didn't know what they were testifying to, if you will. So knowledge is not the key here. It's a willingness to give oneself in defense of the truth of who this actually is. To this point, our conversation to some may sound just like a mere academic exercise. Let's hear the history of this and, and some of the theology of this. But I'd like to get into perhaps a little bit of the practical, what this means for you and I. Not that our celebrations cannot be a Norman Rockwell painting of Christmas and the family together around the table eating the, the Christmas turkey or goose or whatever it may be, but that the church points us in this direction to prepare us. So how do we put this into practice? What what are the lessons, are these lessons we've learned, how should they be affecting our day-to-day life, not just in the octave of Christmas, but as we walk this spiritual journey that is life? Well, one of the fallacies, and, and most of my brother priests would agree with this because we experience this, 
is that the holiday season, the Christmas season, Advent, in preparation to and then leading from, are, are really some of the most difficult days for people. Uh, if for no other reason there's a struggle between the reality of which we find ourselves now and the nostalgia of our past experiences, so history is always beautifully rewritten, you know, and becomes much more idyllic in the rewriting than it was in the lived experience, or we're dealing with sadness and loss um, of loved ones who are absent, either physically or they because they have died or they cannot be here, fractures in the family, all sorts of tension. So the Norman Rockwell picture and painting is just that. It's, it's a, a, a reflection of, at times, a reality that is lived, but ultimately a desire, a reality we want and hope for, but actually doesn't come to pass. So what that means for us concretely is we have to be men and women who willingly carry the cross. There is suffering. There is sadness. Uh, I always speak about myself as a guy who's a glass half-empty kind of guy. So um, I tend to sadness and sorrow and darkness very easily. And so I have no problem with that. But the difficulty, even for those of us maybe who dispositionally are a little bit on the darker side, if you will, of things, when we look at life in the world, have to not allow that darkness to lead to despair. That's the difference. Because it isn't that the world is absent from strife and struggle. What's different for us as believers in the mystery of the Incarnation and the application of this in our daily lives is that we have an answer. We have the ability to remain strong in the midst of our suffering, because our strength is in our crucified Lord, and we're linking our sufferings to Him. So the, the practical of this is every day you're going to confront something that is going to be off-putting, upsetting, difficult to deal with. It might be something large, sickness in your own life or in the lives of those you love. It might be calling to mind you know, loved ones who have died and gone to new life. Uh, it might be broken relationships, past relationships that are fractured, uh, siblings that you haven't spoken to, neighbors uh, where the fence is to keep everyone apart. We can particularize that in any way we want. But as believers in what we're celebrating, the difference is we have to approach those with a hope and confidence of a Lord who can heal, a Lord who can give strength. We can never allow ourselves uh, to fall under the darkness because light indeed has dispelled that. But you can't run away from it either, and you can't expect that everything's going to be rosy. It's going to be joy-filled, it's going to be peace-filled, but it may not be easy. You mentioned before that the culture we live in now, even more so that battle between light and darkness is going on. I think to a, a recent protest that was covered in the news, uh, we, we talk about the holy innocence of our time, those who have been lost to the tragedy of abortion. And during this protest, um, there was a group of women who... Whether they actually did this or not, we don't know, but said that they were taking the abortion pill, the one that would induce an abortion in the first 48 hours of pregnancy, to protest for their right to choose. So we see very clearly in our day and age those who are so opposed to the teachings of our faith and the teachings of our Lord who would say, I will publicly destroy a child. Because that is what we believe, that in the womb it is a child, even when others might say it's a clump of cells. That is a life. I will publicly destroy this life because I reject the will of God. And, and we might be left wondering, how could we live in a world where this happens or where cancer exists or where lives are taken innocently by violent crime or through poverty, through et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet it seems that what you're saying is we are reminded that on a starry night or not, I didn't know the weather report in Bethlehem, a baby was born 
in a manger in Bethlehem to the Blessed Mother. And that is the beginning of the answer that will be his passion, death, and resurrection. And God willing, one day lead for us being in heaven, should we choose the light over the darkness. You know, as you beautifully describe, it is it is the beginning, but it also is the fulfillment. And so, you know, obviously we, again, back to a little bit of theology, the evil that exists in the world that has always been there. I mean, so when you were describing that protest, I was thinking, you know, when um, the state of New York legalized basically infanticide and, and, and the joy upon people's faces in celebrating that now we had the freedom to kill children is inexplicable for those of us who know and accept truth. But you can also then, you can see the parallel, I mean, of, of the anger and the hatred against anything that encroaches upon our freedom that led Herod to well up and send forth his minions literally to destroy life. There has always been this evil. We're the ones that introduced it. And maybe that's the reason why we're, we're so against any attempt that God has made throughout the Old Testament, and then fulfilling those attempts, fulfilling his promises in his son, because we know how responsible we are. We did this to ourselves. And sometimes it's easier, as we know, not to admit the truth at all, and certainly not to admit my culpability in the truth. Maybe it's better to double down or triple down, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go whole hog, I'm going to embrace evil, I'm giving all myself... All right, but there was and an, an the time in history where the world literally was turned upside down, or maybe it was turned right side up. And now you have the choice, as you always did, the same choice Adam and Eve did, to actually live in the light and live in obedience. The difference is now, if you choose not to do it now, there's nothing coming after that's going to repair the damage you've done this time. Not that God leaves us on our own, but we now know that when the Lord comes again in his glory, uh, there's not going to be another coming after that, and another coming after that, and another coming after that. So there is also, as you're asking the practicals, there needs to be, as we were saying earlier, there needs to be a vigilance. I, if I were asked tomorrow to give an accounting of myself, it would be a poor one at best. I need to get my act together. The incarnation leads to the institution of the sacraments, and that is the means that our Lord has left us so that we would not be abandoned and hopeless, because the reality is I've sinned before, and I'm going to sin again. Not that I will it, but sometimes I end up willing it. I, I, I shouldn't say that. Not that I will it, because that's what sin is. We do. We will it. And he gives us a means to come back, and it's all possible because of the incarnation. Monsignor, this has been a, a wonderful discussion to help us get ready. Uh, on behalf of all of us, I would like to wish you a, a blessed remainder of Advent and a Merry Christmas. Thank and you. could I ask you to give the wonderful gift of prayer to our listeners this morning? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Gracious and merciful Father, draw near to us and hear our prayers as we await the coming of our Savior. Open our hearts to receive him now, most especially in the most holy Eucharist that as we take Christ inside of ourselves like Our Lady, we may be obedient to him even unto death. And we make this prayer in all of our prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christmas Anticipation Prayer In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail and blessed be the hour and moment in which the Son of God was born of the most pure Virgin Mary at midnight in Bethlehem in the piercing cold. In that hour, vouchsafe, I beseech thee, O my God, to hear my prayer and grant my desires. 
We continue to pray for the Blessed Mother's intercession for our nation, for her protection, and for the triumph of her Immaculate Heart. Through the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and of his Blessed Mother. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are halfway through our week and another day closer to the Nativity of our Lord. And here with another gift idea for us on the Daily Dose of Encouragement is Patty Schneier. Well, we're talking practicality this week. We're talking practical things. I know people are thinking about gifts. Sometimes they're very difficult. And I like to give gifts that are intentional that can either help evangelize or help someone grow in their faith. I like to give Catholic books. I give prayers. I give mass intentions. So I'm very intentional about that. And again, it's just who I am. And my family knows this about me and my Nieces and nephews do too. There's a couple of websites I do want to share with people if you haven't checked these out. One is called Blessed Is She, fantastic Catholic website, awesome gift ideas that have a spiritual, whether it's, it can be decor, it can be clothing, it can be jewelry, it can be all kinds of cool stuff. Another website that I really like is called Brick House in the City. This is where you can wear awesome t-shirts that have a beautiful message. Again, I would check them out specifically for the women on your list. Um, it's kind of a girl thing, but I, I have to throw it out there because there's some awesome stuff on these two websites. Blessed is She and Brick House in the City. I have used both of them for some great Catholic gifts. So it's just a little encouragement. If you've got some last-minute shopping, you still need to do. And even if the overnight shipping isn't available, don't forget there are 12 days of Christmas, and those start on Christmas Day. So, Patty, thank you for giving us these recommendations today. Well, as we draw to a close today, we do have a couple of programming notes for you for the remainder of the week and for next week. Tomorrow, we'll be back with you with another episode of Roadmap to Heaven. We're going to be taking a look back at another favorite segment from 2022. Which one? Well, you'll just have to tune in tomorrow to find out. Uh, no matter what the weather is tomorrow, we'll be with you, even if I end up broadcasting from home, which could be a lot of fun. But we'll be with you no matter what tomorrow morning. And then Friday morning, we have our Roadmap Roundup Christmas special. And yes, I know it's still going to be the fourth week of Advent, but as we don't broadcast the Roundup during Christmas week or during the octave, uh, we're going to do it Friday and we'll have a little bit of Advent, a little bit of Christmas, a whole lot of fun. Tune in for that at 7 a.m. on Friday morning. And then all next week, we will not be bringing you Roadmap to Heaven. We'll be bringing you Holy Mass. And throughout the week, you can tune into Covenant Network right here to get your fill of beautiful, beautiful Christmas music. We start it on Christmas. We don't end it on Christmas. We start it then. And uh, it's one of my favorite things to have on the radio at home throughout the next week. So we hope you'll join us for that. I will be back with you on January 2nd, broadcasting live from the America Center in downtown St. Louis for the Focus Seek 23 conference. And some really great things are going to be happening there. Um, you know, you'll just have to stay tuned. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows how many people we're going to get to talk to? Right now, the list is growing and growing and growing, and I'm pretty excited about it. So be sure, if you're not following us on social media, uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Our Catholic Radio. That's at Our Catholic Radio. Same thing on Facebook. The uh, You can follow Roadmap to Heaven, facebook.com slash 
Roadmap Radio, but if you follow at Our Catholic Radio out there, you'll get everything we are putting out there on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we also are on YouTube. We have that segment we broadcast yesterday with Father Jeffrey Kirby uploaded, so if you'd like to watch that interview of the 12 Days of Christmas, it is already up there, as well as the Jesse Tree interview we did last week, and we will have a few other goodies making their way up there in the near future as well. So be sure to check all of that out. I want to thank you for being with us today, but first and foremost, let's give thanks to God for this time together in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. We offer a memorari for all those who will be out in the cold. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, our mother. To thee do we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in thy clemency hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, just a few more days until Christmas Eve. I hope you're getting ready. I hope you're ready for the winter storm that's coming, and I hope you're ready for the joy of Christmas. Until next time, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Don't forget, pray your rosary today.